The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Working side by side for the first time ever in history. We've got the greatest generation, baby boomers, Gen X, and millennials. Wow. But what happens when you introduce the disruption of the Internet of Things to this demographically complex workforce? Stick around and find out today on The Future of Business with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is The Future of Business with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in your company's future and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Yes, we're trying a new intro style. It's me before the roll-in. Hope everybody likes it. Just thought we'd bump it up a little bit here for the new year. Welcome, and we have a great show for you today. The buzz on the street, one big happy family question mark? No, I'm not talking about the Republican National Convention. I'm talking about your workforce. And as I said in the opening, we have four generations side by side. Let me go into a little more detail here in case you're scratching your head. I know you all know who the boomers are, Gen X, millennials, who are actually aka Gen Gen Y. But the greatest generation I mentioned first, it's a term, believe it or not, made popular by journalist Tom Brokaw. And it describes the generation who grew up in the U.S. during the deprivation of the Great Depression. We're talking way back when. Then they went on to fight in World War II, as well as those who stayed home and their productivity on the home front made a decisive contribution to the war effort. They're also called the GI generation. Now, I'm a baby boomer, at least one or maybe two of our guests. I think one decisively (laughs) admits to being a baby boomer. And uh, we'll see if we can figure out if we know any of this greatest generation population. But as I said, along comes the Internet of Things. It's disruptive. We've already got a complex workforce. We've got different styles of training and learning and people working side by side and understanding the work process and the workplace culture from different perspectives. And now guess what? We may have a fifth wave. We're going to call them for purposes of the show, the IOT generation Are they creating a workforce gap? They're newbies. They come to work and they expect to have a fully connected workday. Are you giving them that in your workplace? Fasten your seatbelt, HR. That's all I have to say. Let me introduce our stellar panel today. We have three experts, and they're going to really pack it in in terms of great insights and expertise and POVs. First up, well, we're glad to welcome back so soon Sherry Ann Meyer, Human Resources, Business Processes, and Technology Lead at America's SAP Users Group. That's ASUG. Sherry Ann, if those of you were, were listening last year, had her own series, Game Changing HR Leaders, and that show is on hiatus right 
right now. So she's back as a guest here on this series. And Sherry Ann has sent me, well, you know she loves movies. Come on. Anybody listens knows she loves movies. Sherry Ann has sent me a very popular quote. It's just five words from The Wizard of Oz. And the quote is from Dorothy Gale, of course. We're not in Kansas anymore. And Sherry Ann adds the postscript, followed by the witch riding her broomstick in the sky to write out, Surrender, Dorothy. Sherry Ann Meyer, Happy New Year. How are you? I'm great, Bonnie. Happy New Year to you as well. Thank you. It's always so much fun having you on the show because I adore your movie quotes, and you certainly have given us the gamut last year on your own series. So tell me, we're not in Kansas. To whom is Dorothy speaking, or or is HR, and are the, the people who are doing the hiring, are they being told this by the witch? Talk to me. I, well, I think the the larger uh, industry out there is trying to tell HR, needs to tell HR, we're not in Kansas anymore. They've been so focused on, um, I would use the word digitized. They don't even know what digitized means, but they've been so <laughs> focused on tactical solutions to their HR business problems. I don't think that they see what's coming down the line and how much that's going to impact the employees that they have in their workplace today and the ones that they'll need to recruit for tomorrow and beyond employees. What type of people or even robots will they be managing in the future? And what does that do to all of the things they've managed before? Doesn't that change their job a little? Um, And so I guess I'm saying we're not in Kansas anymore to HR um, and asking them to surrender. And I'm the witch. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think so. By the way, Sherry Ann, on my television show, Something to Talk About last week, I had the robotics team, award-winning robotics team from our local high school, Great Neck South High. And uh, interesting, you'll find this interesting, that the mix is about 60-40, male to female, and the president of the club is a girl. So talking about awesome. yeah, talking about STEM and talking about uh, mixing it up and new generations. And you mentioned robots, so I thought I would throw that in. I'll send you the link to the show later. It's uh, it's on video. Thank you. And you can watch it. I think you'll really enjoy that. Thank you for joining me, Sherry Ann. And let's bring on our second panelist. He's also a friend of Game Changers Radio. Been on your series several times. It's Mal Poulin, P O U L I N, and I can finally pronounce the name of his company. It's Ann Siley, A N C I L E. He's the senior director of strategy and market relations and mal has gone way back into classical literature i think we can call it that and sent me a quote from dante alighieri and all of you know him just as dante you know like madonna and Cher and adele well he didn't sing maybe he did but it's dante he lived from 1265 to 1321 born in florence italy he's best known for his masterpiece the divine comedy and just quickly he at age nine he fell in love with the woman who would be the muse for his entire life he was nine she was a few months younger she married someone else and she had the nerve to die when Dante was 25 so most of what he writes about is her heavenly virtues are his her heavenly virtues and they're largely from his imagination so here's the quote from the one and only one name wonder Dante the wisest are the most annoyed at the loss of time Mal welcome back happy new year how are you I'm great, Bonnie. Happy New Year to you, and thank you so much for the pronunciation of my company. I really appreciate it. <laughs> I really, I, I lay awake at nights trying to say Aunt Sally, and I finally told you I was going to pretend it was Aunt Sally and, and change Sally to Sally, so I got it. I did. I'm trying. Mal, talk to me. Very interesting quote. Are you a big fan of Dante? Well, not so much a fan of Dante as much as the whole concept of what he talked about here. It says, you know, he's talking about the wisest or the most annoyed at the loss of time. 
for today's topic, I've actually substituted the word waste as far instead of loss, so waste of time, because too often there's a lot of intolerance or impatience with people who are, who are impatient. But I think the only point here is that that's where innovations are born. So it may, this may, in 1265, this may have been a very poetic, um, a very poetic statement based on the loss of his love, but I think today it really focuses on how innovations are born. So with the Internet of Things, it's not so much one technology or one innovation change. It's really mm-hmm. a wave of them that just keeps on continuing to roll and grow. And phrases that people would use that are wise, if you will, that are impatient with this loss of time, are if only. And what we need is. And it's a waste of time, too, because they want to get right to the outcomes rather than what it takes to get to the outcomes. They're impatient. And that's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. We just need to honor it in some way. Thank you very much, Mal. Words of wisdom. You can be Mal. You can just be the one one name wonder as well. It's Mal and Dante. Mal and Dante. I love oh, that. Well, Thank you. Well, that's how we refer to him at Asa, Just as Mal. Just, He's just Mal. Just Mal. He's, he's a one name wonder. Thank you very much. It We're was. having too much fun here. Sure. And let's bring on our third panelist. She is Sharon Cook, also no stranger to Coffee Break, and all of our future uh, our Game Changer shows. I believe she was on Sherry Ann's Game Changing HR Leaders several times. Sharon is the HCM Practice Director at a company called Hypercision. We spell hyper with lowercase and then Cision with a capital C. And she sent me a quote from somebody I'm, I'm new to. It's Angela Arendt, A-H-R-E-N-D-T-S. Angela Arendt is the Senior VP of Retail and Online Stores at Apple. Aha. Uh-huh. And her background is equally stellar. She was the CEO of Burberry from 2006 to 2014. She was an Executive VP at Liz Claiborne. She was the President of Donna Karen International of a Wonder Woman, and uh, born in 1960, Angela understands the IoT generation workforce gap through her work experience because she came in at the end of the baby boomers, and she also has children, so she sees it as a parent, and she's very interested in the buying interests of the multi-generation marketplace. We're talking about workforce. She references very often and uses her skills to uh, to attract the multi-generation marketplace. So here's the quote. I grew up in a physical world, and I speak English. The next generation is growing up in a digital world, and they speak social. What a fabulous quote. Sharon Cook, Happy New Year to you as well. How are you? Doing very well. Happy 2016 to you. Thank you. You know, I'm calling this, I'm wishing everybody a happy sweet 16 or a sweet 16, and I put 20 in parentheses. I haven't seen anybody else do that. <laughs> Just my personal silliness. So I'm going to wish you all a sweet 16 year. There we go. And we can all pretend we're sweet 16 again. Mal, you'll figure it out. I'm in. So, <laughs> I knew you would be. Sharon, talk to me about this wonderful quote. Are you a big fan of Angela Arendt's? I have been following ever since the move to Apple, I have to say. I, I find her to be an interesting executive from, you know, not only the female aspect, but the fact with Apple, part of her technique is really to spend a lot of time out in the Apple stores. So even though we're talking about social and we're talking about, you know, IoT, um, it's interesting to see that her first approach is actually in-person, you know, face-to-face discussion, and then let's snap a selfie and put it out there in the social world, okay? So mm-hmm. I find her to be a great person that's kind of bridging that gap and certainly someone that has to stay on top of 
all of these generations. When you look at retail, buying, the people that work in the environment, and the number of people that are associated as employees or in relationship with these organizations, I, I think she's in a pivotal role. Yeah, I, I think so. And I'm looking at her background, Sharon. It, it, if you think about it, Liz Claiborne, Donna Karen, Donna Karan, Burberry, these are, these are long-standing brands. These are classics, right? And then she goes to Apple. Think about her transition from that physical world to digital, social, OMG, what's coming next through Steve Jobs and through Cook and, and what's happening. So she certainly has inserted herself into a very brave new world. Thank you, Sharon Cook. And I have to mention, uh, the three of you know, and our listeners don't, we were supposed to have a fourth panelist. His name is David Dreyer. He's a solutions principal for manufacturing in SAP's North America COE Center of Excellence. I just want to read, and he's, he's on a plane somewhere, travel schedules, what they are with weather. He was stranded, rescheduled. So with deep regrets, he can't join us, but I just want to mention, uh, since he, he took the time to send us some input, the quote he was going to say on air is from Ralph Waldo Emerson, and I think you'll all appreciate this. The quote is, do not go where the path may lead. Go instead where there is no path and leave a trail. So talking about trailblazers and onward and upward and new generation and disruption, I think that was perfect. So David Dreyer, wherever you are, safe travels, and and, uh, thank you so much for sending your input, and we'll get you on another show coming up soon. So let's circle back to Sherry Ann Meyer. You know what's next. We want to know what you're drinking. It's a new year. It's a sweet 16 year. What's in your cup today, Sherry Ann, or what are you going to do when you're celebrating after the show? Well, in my cup right now is hot coffee because it finally became winter here. It's cold. <laughs> but later on tonight, I plan to break out um, a wine I have from a local winery um, called Cloverhill Winery. Um, they have a nice spiced apple wine, which, when warmed slowly, is really nice on a chilly night. So that's mm-hmm. this evening. That sounds good. Yeah, it's really cold here in New York. Uh, luckily, any of the, the Plu and the Neige have bypassed us. I think they're north and, and east somewhere, but luckily, the uh, worst we had was a lot of rain this weekend. So I can identify. It was 14 degrees with wind chill last night or less. Come on, come on. Do we I know. I'm not, I can't wind? do this, really. I, I know. I know. We're getting spoiled. So, Mal Poulin, where are you today and what are you drinking? I am outside of Baltimore today in the office, and I have hot chicken soup in my cup because <laughs> along the same lines, winter has arrived in the Baltimore, D.C. area. So I'm, eating, I'm having that for comfort, for warmth, but also the way we put it at home, defensive eating. Uh, with, the oh, that's of, good. Uh, with the pace of everything these days at work, at home, and one of our topics today, you know, all the like, um, it's really a matter of being defensive in how we go. And right now I'm also, yes, I am the boomer. Yes, I'm, I'm confessing. I am the boomer on this, on this panel. And uh, because of that, with this extensive travel that I do, different than David, I'm actually in a chair. Um, it's also defensive to make sure that all the people I get to see and meet in airports and planes, I have a little defensive uh, work going on with them as far as this chicken soup. So it's, it's harder and harder to, to win the defense, but that's what I've got, and I'm doing everything I can. I, I love that. I don't think we've, maybe in about a thousand guests, I think one other person has mentioned they had soup in their cup, and I appreciate that. You know, the good old uh, Jewish penicillin, pardon me, chicken soup. <laughs> but what's interesting was on, I think it was NBC Today Show, I, I wanted to see if they had figured out who the three 
damn it, lottery winners where I know it's California, <laughs> Tennessee, and Florida. It ain't New York, kids, and it's not Washington or Baltimore or mm-hmm. anywhere else. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I know. I'm so sad. Anyway, they were talking about the fist bump, and they were trying to figure out which politicians may or may not have inadvertently used, used the fist bump, and they referenced back, speaking of meeting people, uh, Mal, and, and being in airports, they mentioned back to Downton Abbey that people in that day – did not even shake hands because there was the fear of disease and they didn't have all mm-hmm. the defensive mechanisms we had. Although I bet you Mrs. Patmore could make a mean chicken soup down there in the dungeon <laughs> kitchen. And I'll have to call her and ask, what can I tell you? The show's almost over and I'm ready, frankly. Thank you, Mal. Sharon Cook, where are you and what are you drinking today? I am in Rhode Island, so geographically we're all very similar. And Mal, by the way, I'm also a baby boomer and proud to confess that, okay? There we go. Oh, my goodness. Do we have a whole, is everybody, Sherry Ann pretends to be a boomer. Are you really Sherry Ann? Yeah, I am, honest to God, yeah. So so all four of us are boomers. I, oh, I'm great. shocked. I'm sh- I, I'm I didn't It's the greatest think. generation, come on. Well, I think, well, it's according to Tom Brokaw, it was the GI generation was the greatest, but I think the boomers are really the greatest. So, oh, David Fowler, our, our sponsor here on Future Business, he's a boomer, and I have a feeling from the photo that David Dreyer may be also. This has got to be a first, having an entire boomer panel and, and a show executive. That's exciting. So, Sharon, sorry to interrupt. What are you drinking today? Well, I'll, I'll add on to our topic a little bit because I confess mm-hmm. it's only this personality of mine that's the boomer. I have other ones that fit all the generations, okay? Um, but from a drink perspective, I've gone the other route that way, too. I actually have a mango pineapple smoothie that I'm drinking. And, again, I'm going the other route, you know, mind over matter situation. You know, in cold New England, being in Rhode Island and everything, I like to sit in my office. I'll look out the window, and I still have some green grass. All the snow went away for me yesterday. And the whole mango pineapple thing gives me a little bit more of that tropical feel. It's healthy for me, and I promise I'll try not to slurp the straw at the end of the drink, okay? (laughs) You're welcome to slurp all you want, my dear. You earned it. Let's see now. David Fowler, who is listening on the line, says, In my cup, Starbucks caramel sea salt hot cocoa. Sounds really good. And uh, Dave Fowler, you might be interested that a panelist, uh, Sandy Webster from Consultants to Go, LLC, on yesterday's Coffee Break show said she has traveled far and wide looking for the best commercial hot chocolate and she swears by, get ready, Dave Fowler, you may be shocked, Burger King. She said it's the best commercial hot chocolate you can get when on the road or when you're you're out somewhere and you need to stop in. And she said it doesn't taste like dirty water, which most of the others do. I swear that's what Sandy Webster said. What can I say? Everybody knows that I'm not allowed to have caffeinated beverages during show day. So I'm drinking cool, clear water with a green straw, green for money and profits and productivity and all that good optimism for the new year, the sweet 16 year. But I will tell you, uh, Sherry Ann, that my daughter gifted me with a beautiful Nespresso Virtue Line in red for my red kitchen, and it has the Arachino separate air frother machine, and I am going through the 100 gift pack of capsules like five or six a day. <laughs> Luckily, she mostly sent me decaf and half-calf, so I'm not flying too high, but I am uh, really getting into my coffee mode for I'm, the winter. I'm so. jealous of the machine and thankful to your daughter for you know keeping it half-calf. 
Oh, I know. I know. Mostly <laughs> caffeine. And, you know, by the time I'm done with it, it doesn't even, it's not even like coffee. A little cream, a little half and half, a little ice cream. What can I tell you? Anyway, I'm so pleased to be speaking with the three of you. We have such a great show. And a shout out again to David Fowler, baby boomer, drinking his Starbucks caramel sea salt hot cocoa. And I think he's in the Midwest somewhere. And our topic today is the Internet of Things and the next generation workforce. Who are they? Are they the fifth wave? Are they making noise? Are they waving at us? They're digital. They're social what else do they want from us we're gonna have a lot more when we come back with the round table so don't even think about touching that mouse that app that dial you know the drill we'll be right back justin out when it comes to business you'll find the experts here voice america business network The pace of innovation is moving faster than ever, and the future of business will be defined by how quickly business leaders adapt to accelerated ongoing change. Factors as diverse as business simplification, insights from growing volumes of data, the new global pool of talent, resource scarcity, business networks and supply chains, and the ever-present need for speed are shaping the definition of future success. Join our experts as they analyze and discuss how business leaders can shape the future of change, the future of business. Business with Game Changers is presented by SAP Services. Visit www.sap.com. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You're listening to The Future of Business with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to the future of business with Game Changers. Certainly is the future of business, and your business probably has at least a couple people working for it for you. We're talking that about the workforce. We have four generations working side by side, doing the best they can with different values, different backgrounds, different cultures, different styles, different learning paces and preferences for work. And along comes the IoT. Joining us in the with the IoT generation alongside the greatest generation, a few of them left in the workforce, baby boomers, Gen X and millennials, a.k.a. Gen Y. Our panel today includes Sherry Ann Meyer from ASUG and Mal Poulin or Poulon, we're waxing Francais today from Anne Siley. <laughs> yes. And Sharon Cook at High Precision. And we're going to kick off a roundtable, and I know it's going to be a great one. Sherry Ann, I'm looking at your notes. You're first up on the panel, and you say, We're still only human. Let me read a quote from an article, and I'll let you explain who said it. The one thing you can't digitize is values. It's in your heart. It's what your family has instilled in you. A mission statement cannot be digitized. It is what your team believes. Talk to me about this survey you're quoting here, Sherry Ann, and then we'll get Mal and Sharon to chime in as well. Please go ahead. Sure. Um, That quote is from David Smith. He's the general manager in charge of SMB at Microsoft. Um, So I thought that was interesting that um, someone in a tech company is acknowledging that the most important thing is the human heart after all. Um, And I think that from from my perspective, that's where it starts. Like you can throw all the technology at me that you want, but how I use it, how I embrace it, how it changes my culture and my company, 
All of that is going to depend on the employees that are there and, you know, who I'm recruiting, who I'm hiring, what type of people are they. Those values that are within you are what's going to come to the company and make use of all the Internet of Things. You can talk about things all you want, but it still comes back to heart. So, Sherry Ann, when we, we look at our workforce today in the four generations that are already well ensconced there, and, and millennials certainly are there, I don't think they're newcomers anymore. They've been around for a while. They're approaching their mid-30s already. Hard to believe. Uh, would they agree with you on that? Would they agree with the survey that it all comes down to harder? Are they still thinking uh, tap, tap, and swipe, swipe, and, and let's just keep digital? Would they understand what you're saying? Well, I think what I loved about this quote from David Smith was that um, he hits at the heart of something that most of us don't think about when we think about work. Um, and he really, I, th- I don't think most people could disagree with it. I don't think it's a concept they would come up with on their own, however. And um, I think he makes a very important point because the kinds of technology changes that we're going to have with IoT coming in place is going to require really extraordinary leaders and a different workforce management strategy. Um, and I think you have to bring your heart to that to really make it work and be sensitive. I think we're going to see a lot of movement among employees, um, not just upward, but perhaps laterally, perhaps out the door to different companies that can better use their skills and talents. Um, but I think, you know, it's going to be a better workplace ultimately, but I still think we're going to go through many years of transition, and that's going to require a heart to manage that properly. I appreciate that. I'm not surprised coming from you because I know that matters to you. Malpool and Ann Siley, what are your thoughts on what Jerry Ann just shared, please? Well, I think it's really interesting, and I think even if you don't buy into the, the personal values aspect of it, which I do, I think you can go right to the core of it, which is behavior and performance. So what we're saying with the Internet of Things, ultimately, at the end of the, the, end of the game, is no data is unattainable. It's all there in some way, shape, or form. And let's assume we can even dredge it up and get to it, but what do you do with it? So it does come down to the big so what in relation to performance and behavior and experience and judgment. And those of us on this panel have a lot of experience <laughs> and hopefully good judgment to, to land, to collaborate with the younger, uh, the younger workforce because they still need to do that. Ultimately, you know, Sherry Ann's right. I think it is our values that push our behavior, but we need to behave with something, and that is this data that the Internet of Things is either doing on our behalf you know, in the Internet, or they're providing to us. So we need to do everything we can. Now, whether that's a training game or uh, mentoring or collaboration, it's going to look different in every company and every group. Mm-hmm. But I think it's a matter of making sure people have, they're armed with what they need to do, perform, behave with their customers, constituents, um, the, you know, the stakeholders in the business. Mal, do you agree, I've heard on several of our other shows last year, that uh, younger workforce entrants are picking a company based on its values? Is this still holding true? What's your observation? And then we'll have Sharon and, and Sherry Ann comment on that, too. Go ahead. In, in my view, I don't think there's one answer. I think it's more and more common to it. Um, I think people are willing to maybe try it on. They don't necessarily know the culture. They don't know the heart of the business till they get there. So I think some of the, the jumping or the leaping is that they're, they're initially satisfied but not long-term satisfied. So they'll jump and find the next. 
The good news is by the time they've got some time under their belt, if they're new workers to the workforce, they at least are more scrutinous and they, they're more impatient, like the, the original quote, so that they mm-hmm. can recognize earlier what works for them and what works for the company, and it either they, they stay a little bit longer or they're off to the next. So, yes, but with conditions. Yeah, I, I agree so, with that because I think first you look. Yeah. For the, I think first graduates look for money. They want to get the job first, but then after that, they're definitely attracted to. If they've got, if they're competitive in the marketplace, they're attracted to companies that have missions that they value. I'm so Sharon, appreciative of your with... comments, uh, Mal. Go, go ahead, Sharon. Yes, I want to say something when you're done. Sharon Cook, go ahead. No problem. Um, I, I want to say I, I agree very much. So I think it takes a while in your career to understand what culture is. So I think you do get into organizations, you try them on for a bit. And I don't even know in your first place of employment that you really equate it to culture. I think you need to experience a couple of opportunities until you start to get that feel of where you fit and what's attracting you. And then, you know, what are your motivators in your career? What's going to drive you? Do I need to be in a certain culture, a certain organization to actually get to where I want to be. So I think I agree, Sherri Ann. It's, it's the bucks out of school. Everybody's got loans these days. But I think mm-hmm. it's also what am I comfortable with? How did they approach me? What are those first impressions? Mm-hmm. So, again, having a very good digital presence for that type of candidate coming into an organization I think is another thing that attracts people a lot. So sorry for the over-talk here. No, no, not at all. That's what I was looking for. That's, that's the kind of conversation we love here on Game Changers Radio, Sharon. You know that. So I'm glad. I was going to make a comment to Mal uh, in terms of, and, and Sharon as well, young people, younger entrants into workforce, I'll call them, um, coming in, don't really know. They, they think they have values. They read them on paper. Yes, this is a green company. It's a company that's socially aware and it's doing things for the social good and it has volunteerism and this and that and it understands people's work-life integration. We've given up on balance. We know that. Uh, but I was intrigued, Mal, when you said they'll try one company and they'll go to the next. It sounds like in the old days you were, remember, Ernie Ford, Tennessee Ernie Ford, I owe my soul to the company store. You had one job. He worked in the mine in the store. And now you can switch and now it's okay every year, every two. And that allows allows them to play almost job roulette, perhaps. I'm sure Sherry Ann has something to say about that, as well as it's almost like speed dating. Well, I'll date you for a year, and if I'm not too happy, I'm back on Match or J-Date or eHarmony, and I'm going to go look for the next place to land. And is it like that in, in the job world because of these different styles? Anybody want to comment on that? Yeah, I can jump in on that. I think you're exactly mm-hmm. right. I wouldn't necessarily call it the old five-minute speed dating, but on the other hand, when you that five minutes becomes a year or two, I think that's exactly what it is. And I think some of the criteria so that, like Sharon hit, you know, it really is that that whole concept of culture. But what that also comes down to is the spirit of the culture. How much trust is there in my judgment? How much honor is there to my experience and my knowledge? so that I can do what I need to do, and I can really contribute. What I find is those who, if you will, jump early off the speed date uh, mm-hmm. as they're spinning, is those who'd say, well, I'm not exactly trusted. My contribution is not recognized. The, the money thing falls down the tubes, down the pipe there, because there, there are other ways to make money besides just the paycheck you get every two weeks, and I think they've recognized that. Yes, they need to pay the bills, but I think it comes down to that. What, is it, what does that culture mean to me? And they use it to jump or use it to stay, but it's that 
try it on type of thing, and there's no fault. Nobody, nobody's offended mm-hmm. after a departure in a year or two like it used to be in the olden days. <laughs> that's right. And what we call in innovation and design thinking, fail fast and fail often, that's almost okay in the world of building your career. I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Now I'm looking at your, your talking points here while I have you. Let's go into another area. Uh, Sherry, and thank you for a, a great start to the conversation. Mal, you say the current role of management in the workplace is the most challenging it has ever been in your experience of 38 years. We just dated you. So you say <laughs> poor managers poor managers have to facilitate teamwork among diverse individuals and outcomes from diverse teams of similar composition. Success in the workplace is not only about satisfying the team members, but as it always has been, satisfying the stakeholders in the business or operation, the customers, the shareholders, on and on. Mal, why don't you expand this for us and and talk about in the mixed workforce of today, what should managers uh, be on the, the, uh, shall we say, minding their P's and Q's or PC? Give us a little advice here. Well, I think the advice is kind of simple, and it's not anything, you know, uh, revolutionary. I think it's a matter of recognizing the composition of the teams. It's very clear that no one person can succeed on their own. If they are, then they're starting and running their own companies. But if they're part of another organization, whether it be a public organization or, uh, in, you know, a public company, um, I think it's a matter of working with that team. So the manager's job, you know, ultimately the successful manager's job, is to recognize the makeup of that team, knowing that it could be made up of four or five generations in there, and what drives their performance, what values do they have, as Sherry Ann was talking about, so that ultimately there's team success. Team success isn't just a smile at the end of the, the, the day, the week, the month. It's smiles on the face of our customers and our stakeholders who are really stakeholders and shareholders in the business because that's ultimately what it is. So that manager is facing one way on the team for ultimate productivity and their satisfaction as well as on the other side of that spectrum, satisfying the stakeholders, which may be the next level of management or it may be the external customer. But really the, the big job recognizing the makeup and what drives the individuals, therefore collectively the team, and we've already talked about the challenge of what that is across the multiple generations. Thank you, Mel. Sharon Cook, love to have you chime in here. Thoughts? I agree totally with Mel. I mean, the manager has a really tough time these days, and I think, you know, part of that role is really continuing to describe that stakeholder expectation, describe what it takes to get the job done while you're still looking at the diversity of your team and how they're going to perceive and interpret that and then to try to, you know, break out the work that needs to happen in accordance with, um, you know, the people that you have on your team and how they're going to perceive that. A lot of it still comes down to communication. I mean, again, when we're talking the digitized world, not everything can be handled in 140 characters. So those managers need to really kind of look at communication, and I think that's a huge challenge yet when a lot of your workforce may not be down the hallway from you. They're working from a home office, another remote office for the company, and they may be working different time zones and and just, you know, totally different schedules and everything. So I think balancing that communication, keeping regular feedback going on performance, you know, setting expectation for people for what they're going to receive from the job well done and what is a job well done look like are all really things that are part of this whole 
adoption process that needs to happen in an organization. And I think a lot of us in HR talk about, you know, well, we understand all these generations and, you know, we have great tools for this, but it's really pulling all of that together and internalizing it in your organization to really figure out how you're going to get people to adopt it, how are we going to use it, you know, what's our game plan for the Internet of Things of how we can leverage that to help the manager in their efforts today. Thank you, Sharon. Sherry Ann Meyer, join us. Well, I love what Sharon was talking about on the communication aspect of this because there is no one way to communicate, and I don't care if you're talking about five generations in the workplace or one generation. Um, people are, all have different parents, all have different ways of, and styles of learning, and you, you need to be able to communicate in multiple different ways. So I do get concerned when we focus too much on digitized or trying to squeeze things into 140 characters because that doesn't always explain everything. And I still think that there is a need for um, clear communication and education and learning among the organization that's um, much more than quick blurbs here and there. I think uh, also the future workforce with IoT does need to be more rapid and agile and flexible. But I think learning is increasingly important, and over the years we've seen companies incorporate learning where it was mandatory according for compliance reasons in certain businesses or for OSHA. Um, but I think that we're going to see an increased focus on adopting um, informal learning and helping workers grow in their jobs as to how they do their jobs and where they can go in the future in their jobs. I think that's going to become... Uh, um, almost more important or equally as important as the compliance learning that's going on out there. So lots of opportunities for HR to step into the realm and influence from, you know, performance management to learning, um, engagement. Um, every single aspect of what HR does, I think, needs to be looked at when we talk about the digital transformation in the workplace. Sherry Ann, thank you, and thank you to the panel. I have a question for all of you, but I'm going to address it first to Sherry Ann because I know this is uh, definitely her her wheelhouse. Let's talk about the generations within HR. Let's hold up the mirror to what's called HR, human capital management, whatever's hanging on the door of that office today, whether it's virtual or physical. Uh, are there multiple generations in HR, and do they get this, Sherry Ann? Do they know that the times they are a change and that they have to deal with different workforce components and different styles and different values right under their nose, under their purview, and the people they have to deal with every day? How is HR responding and reacting? Acting to this new challenge, Sherry Ann, and then we'll get everybody else. Well, I think HR definitely knows it. I, um, I think it varies. I don't think you can bundle HR into one group. I think it varies depending on the organization in which they're working. Um, a very well-established manufacturing organization may typically have a lot of um, staff members and managers at, you know, the baby boomer level, let's say. Um, and now they're seeing younger people come in also to, as, you know, the older workforce is gradually fading out. So I think we've got a mix of ideas out there, but what's interesting to me is that the people that hold the positions of quote-unquote power in a hierarchical organization are typically the baby boomers, us. And if we're not open and flexible and agile and willing to give up on some of the our old stubborn thoughts that may be out there, then I think that holds the company back. And I see a little bit of that in every organization. It just depends, again, on the structure of the organization, who's in that organization, um, and how open that organization is to change and continual learning. Thank you. Mal Pullen, talk, please. 
Well, I, I think, you know, it's kind of interesting. Where Sherry Ann was going is not unique at all to the HR organization. You can take it to pretty much any part of the operation of a business, whether we're really going to the, the shop floor, if you want, or to the C-suite. You know, I think one of the things that's different, especially from a learning and an enablement perspective over the past five years especially, is not so much providing learning when uh, making it learning available to the worker, but making a learning available to them when they don't know they need learning. <laughs> I know that's a strange phrase, but I think it's a matter of enabling the push. So, you know, I think the image is, uh, say, like to the, sh- the shop floor. We're re- dealing with a plant floor type of thing. Before, you might have had to hang a clipboard on a, on a pipe that's near a hazard. Well, now, what, uh, just with Internet of Things, the, the worker has a sensor, the pipe has the sensor, and all of a sudden the video comes on of the smart baby boomer perhaps, giving direction mm-hmm. as to what to do and what not to do. So it's that it's even from the standpoint of leveraging that technology capability of the IoT that enables someone our age, I'll put us all in one bucket here, That's okay. to enable the workforce regardless of the age. But the point is I think there's a there's a way to there's a way to digitize that same uh, what might have been a face to face, what might have been a documented, written type of learning effort and enablement so we can really leverage that and do the same thing, but we just do it with more of a digital flair. So it's, it, is, it is a tough thing because we've really got that mix, but on the other hand, it's always, if we keep our eyes focused on the end state, the outcomes all the time, I think we're getting there. And, you know, as far as that video goes, I always, you know, like the phrase, it's like, if you have a phone, you have a movie studio. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone can can contribute. So whether it's the hazard in the the plant or whether it's mentoring for the finance organization up to the C-suite, regardless, you can share in a lot of ways. And it doesn't take a lot other than uh, just Speaking your mind, if you will, and even we are, you know, bent towards speaking our minds. At least I am. I'll speak for myself personally. I think that's why we're all here. Sharon K. Cook at iPrecision, we've got to, got to get you on this. What do you think? Oh, the thoughts are just running rampant at this point. I mean, I, I agree with everything that's being said, but I also look across, you know, some industry differentiators here, okay? I, I think HR gets it. I think there's just been too much in magazines and too many presentations, too many broadcasts. We've all heard it loud and clear that we have multi-generational workforce issues to manage these days. But then we need to internalize it and look at our own company. We've talked about the culture. But yet I do see some differences when we look industry-wide. I mean, some industries are just a little bit more hesitant to go to this Internet of Things. They work in nuclear, they work in utilities, they work in, you know, defense, in in more highly controlled organizations where they feel there's much more risk at hand with some of these, you know, openness to learning, the social aspect of it, more network and actual physical controls that are in place and everything. So I think this whole rolling it out, getting it adopted, and keeping ourselves current and addressing all of these different generations is really more of a challenge in certain arenas than in others, and I think that's going to extend kind of this timeline of adoption and also creates a great marketplace for different ways of introducing the use of Internet of Things and and how to collaborate and do the social learning and do all of these things just because of those differentiators that are out there today. 
Thank you, Sharon Cook. I love the idea that the thoughts are running rampant, and that's also why you're here. We love rampant <laughs> thoughts. And, and I always tell my panelists in advance on your first prep calls, this is interactive. This is unscripted. This is come as you are and share your expertise and your point of view and your passion for the topic, and you certainly are. Sharon Cook, while I have you in the sort of hot seat here, I want to look at some notes you sent me, something very interesting. You looked at a study by Ernst & Young. I don't think you talked about that yet, that assessed perceptions held on such work qualities as problem solving, hardworking, team player, cost effective, those kinds of qualities or terms we use in the workforce. You want to tell us what was so interesting about the study and then we'll have Sherry Ann and Mel chime in. Sharon? Well, I think the thing I found interesting, again, it kind of resorts back to the communication and, you know, from my perspective, having grown up in HR and then moved into more of a systems kind of role, um, I always find that whole competency base and what do we look at, you know, what makes us be successful in our roles. So a lot of these things that were addressed in um, the survey was really about things, you know, hardworking, team player, problem solving. I mean, if you come from an HR background, all of us have probably had those in some sort of, you know, skills or, or, or competency library that we've uh, looked at. And the the point of the survey was really to survey each of the generations and what their perceptions were of one another. And, for example, it was perceived that, you know, baby boomers were way more cost-efficient than what, you know, Gen Y people or millennials would be because, you know, we've simply had more experience doing it. We've learned to do it cheaper over the fact that we've repetitively had to do it. But there were things like hardworking, also a perception that, you know, the older worker was more hardworking than the younger worker, and that perception that maybe there was some, you know, work aversion there or anything. So all of those perceptions when you're looking at putting your teams together are important to at least acknowledge somewhat and validate, are these true, not true, and kind of go to the adversarial role and say, you know, this is a perception, but it's not really true. You know, look at that young worker over there working their butt off every day and really coming through Mm -hmm. on a project team and things like that. So I think looking at the perceptions that we each have of one another from our generational perspective, I think, is really important and something that just kind of intrigued me in the workforce. And I look at my own team and I try to think about, well, what are the comments I hear from one another about their coworkers, their peers? And then you get into situations where we're going to see more and more where a manager may be the youngest person on the team and how is that going to impact that, you know, the, the team interactions and everything. So I just find it extremely interesting when you look at those aspects, the perceptions, and how you need to manage that to still get the job done. So that was what really kind of drug me into that particular survey. Yeah, it was a very interesting study, and I'm glad you brought it to our attention. Sherry Ann Meyer, thoughts on what Sharon Cook just talked about? Well, that's very interesting because... This whole idea of, you know, perceptions is one that I'm very big on. You, you probably know I think they're dangerous. Um, mm-hmm. And I think they're also necessary, too, because sometimes your perceptions are intuitive and are telling you something about your workforce or a person that maybe you need to dig into a little bit more. And I don't think they should necessarily be taken at face value, but I think that there's something to discuss and something that helps to bring a team together when you better understand each other, how they learn and how they work. Um, And that kind of relates back to the concerns I had about um, digital transformation and the vast amount of data out there. I think um, Mel said before, no data is unattainable. 
So when I look at how um, workers are perceived and what they bring to the workplace, I wonder myself, you know, about the younger workers who come in, and they, they have no fear of technology. They have no fear of putting anything out there. They put everything on Facebook. How are they handling the data of the company? Are they, do they need to be reeducated? But the interesting thing about me saying that, I know I wrote it up in my notes to you, is that I know that there's probably a lot of people my age that are a baby boomer and still are, you know, they may have even had credit cards ripped off from them or had their identity stolen, and they're still not really sensitized to how we handle data and how we use the information that we get from the Internet and put out on the Internet. Um, and I think that's going to become increasingly important. Agree. Thank you. Mal Pullen, talk. Well, I, th- I think it starts where Sherry Ann started us all off with about, you know, values, personal values. Yes, we have the Internet of Things. Yes, we have data being pushed at us, and we pull it, and it's available to us. And, and as, you know, we're all saying, it's like no data is unattainable. But it kind of goes to that big so what. And I think both of what mm-hmm. Sharon and Sherry Ann are saying is what they said in their words were a lot of verbs. So it's a lot of doing. What do I do with it? What is my behavior? What, what do, you know, uh, what is the next step? In other words, in this case, it goes back to in some ways as an overall a work ethic, as, as uh, Sharon was talking about. Mm-hmm. But I think it all goes, also goes down to what do I do with the data? I watch my four-year-old grandson, and it's so funny. I realized in preparing for this that some people I work with are closer to his age than my age. So that was frightening to me. But on the other hand, I watch him and I watch them. And like Sherry Ann just said, they're afraid of nothing as far as data. However, that's not necessarily a good thing. But what they need, what they lack, what they uh, need to harness with that is their action towards a final goal. So it really does take um, what, what Sharon was talking about, too, is that sort of guidance in some way, shape, or form, however we need to do it, whether personally or digitally, to help guide that along because we, we really do have our people of values that drive our behavior. Now we just have more things to behave with faster than we ever did before. <laughs> Thank you, Mal. Thank you all. I'm, I'm going to insert here a couple of notes from David Dreyer, who I said is sitting on a plane somewhere and unable to join us. Uh, but he did prep for the, for the show today. And here's an interesting, I'm going to read a very short paragraph, and then we'll have, oh, I'll give you each about a minute to respond, and then we'll quickly do our predictions. So l- listen up. He says, digital first for the digital natives, as they're often called, is a natural bias toward ease of use, real time, and location-independent information and interactions. And he adds, the next generation has lived their entire lives in a world of silicon servants. If the workplace is not similarly aligned and equipped, employers risk a workplace cultural divide that may not long survive. Well, there's doom and gloom. He adds, these silicon servants at work will empower the workforce to shed time-consuming, low-value-add activities in exchange for high-value engagement work, more collaborative and team-centric work. And then he adds two more thoughts. The historical management hierarchy morphs into a matrix relationship for the management of value teams that have specific outcome targets across codependent LOBs. Outcome-driven actions will require context, consensus, and coordination all in real time. And he wraps up, This is interesting. There are no longer meetings as we know them today because work becomes a continuum of persistent meeting and collaboration. Let me get a chance for each of you to react to this. Sherry Ann Meyer, just take one minute, please, real fast. What do you think? I 
I really don't know what to think. I think there's a lot of changes coming. Um, I think that, you know, what we're going to have to deal with is going to be huge in the next generation, but we have to prepare for it now. Okay, thank you, Mel Poulin. Thoughts on what David Dreyer was going to say? I'm, I love what he wrote and submitted for us because I think that is consistent with what we talked about, about job hopping and the, and the speed dating, because I think the alignment of the worker and what they see and, and experience in the workplace, a lot of what he pointed out there, that's what causes the jump if there's lack of alignment more than it is anything else. Do we, do we not attract because we don't have these uh, digital enablements? Uh, maybe. But maybe you don't know that till you get there. But I think once you're there, I watch my 28-year-old son and his third job, and I'm thinking that's a lot of what caused him to move from job to job over the short, his short work life. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Sharon Cook. Thoughts on the David Dreyer comments, please. I love it, too. And, I mean, I see it in the workplace every day. I mean, we've switched from having meetings to now having um, social sites, collaboration sites, where it is an ongoing yes. kind of meeting aspect. I think right now, until we transition all of the generations or find that happy medium, we still need to kind of figure out the right mix between, you know, what's face-to-face, what's video and phone, and, and what's just on the Internet of Things to do that so we can kind of get everybody moving in the same direction right now. And, and that's kind of the challenge we're working towards, I think. Certainly is. Thank you. I have time for just 60 seconds for predictions for each of you. You know the drill. Look ahead to 2020 or any time. could be tomorrow or next week or 20 years out, whatever. Please, as you, and tell me what will be different about this conversation about multiple generations working, hopefully side by side. Hopefully it will be one big happy family, but who knows? Maybe that's not a good goal. I don't know. Keep them on their toes. Sherry Ann Meyer, tell me how far in the future 60 seconds predictions go. I say three to five years. HR is going to be managing not humans alone, but a workforce, and they're going to learn how to integrate those robotics and contingent workers and employees all together um, in producing productivity for their organizations. Um, And when we talk about, Sharon talks a lot about social, I think we will be increasingly social. What will be interesting is how we engage an entire workforce in that social discussion if we all move to social. Um, So I think there's still some technology changes to be made to make sure that we know what's going on with those robotics and those contingent workers as well as the employees. Thank you, Sherry Ann. Brief and to the point, you know what to do. You've been on, you had your own series. <laughs> you do this every week for 13 weeks. God bless you. Mal Pullen and Siley and tell Aunt Siley I said hello to her. What are your predictions? <laughs> 60 seconds, Mal, go. I, I, I definitely will. They'll be proud. But I think my <laughs> prediction is more to what I was saying with the swell and continuation of what we're talking about here. More focus on capability than knowledge as opposed to look, when we look at people coming out of college, not so much what they know, what can they do, what can they add to the experience of the company. And I think from the standpoint of enablement going forward with the Internet of Things, I think we sort of touched on the whole concept of risk. I think risk is going to be more of a catalyst for a lot of automation and the um, leverage of Internet of Things over time because we rely on human interaction, but it's flawed. Um, So as we move forward, I think the risk to the business is going to be a lot of the drive towards more uh, electronic action and the Internet of Things interaction. And from a people perspective, moving to enable digitally more than any other means. Thank you very much. Sharon K. Cook at High Precision. Predictions, please. 
Predictions 10 years from now, Bonnie, you will have won the next lottery, okay? So this won't impact you. But instead of us calling in and having this talk show, we'll simply be online and my thoughts will be flowing to my, you know, machine or I'll insert, you know, keystrokes where I need to and everything. But I think we will see a lot more digitized. There's so much information in hand, so many more people have gotten, you know, used to at the touch of a fingertip having that. And I... Agree totally. I think the risk of managing that, education, a whole other world of consultancy to kind of get organizations down that path, um, and balancing the technology to the human need and interaction part of it is going to be something that is going to be a current day concern that we'll be working towards and everything to balance that mix out. Thank you. And, and Sharon Cook, you're talking about 10 years ahead, and I'm looking at the de- gen- Generation X definition. Uh, birth dates are typically the 60s to the 80s, and then millennials, the early 80s to early 2000s. So in 10 years, let's see, if we're at 2016 now, in 10 years it'll be 2026. So we will have maybe a sixth generation. That is if the greatest generation, a.k.a. thank you, Tom Brokaw, is still around if they still don't want to retire. <laughs> uh, we're propping them up. I, my mother's going to be 99 in two weeks, and she's so bored, she probably would have a job if somebody could hire her. Maybe we need to bring her on at SAP or ASUG. I don't know. Anyway, it'll be interesting. <laughs> if we had this conversation in 10 years, maybe we'll have six generations. Wow. Is it? And then we'll go for Lucky 7 and, and all hell broke loose. Anyway, thank you so much to my panelists, extraordinaire Sherry and Myra at ASUG, Malpoolid at Ann Siley, Sharon K. Okay. Cook at Hyperscission, yay, and David, David, David Fowler at SAP, who organized this wonderful, wonderful panel and great topic today. Thank you, and a shout-out to David Dreyer, who's traveling. Uh, just a quick heads up here. Oh, I, I'm running out of time, but we have a lot of new shows starting, including the future of the future. We have the extended supply chain of the future. We have the future of cars with game changers, digital industries changing the game, business networks. Network innovation, and we're bringing back social selling with game changers in season five of Financial Excellence. And another new show will be starting in April. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Here is my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt and a shout out to Justin, our engineer. Thank you. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. Talk to you next week on Game Changers. Bye bye. Thanks again for tuning in to The Future of Business with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. And please join host Bonnie D. Graham again next Thursday morning at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.